0: That's where we're gonna be this morning, Mark 16. You can turn with me there in your uh, Bibles, if you will. Mark 16, we're gonna look at the first 13 verses. Uh, But the reality is, this is true. This is the pinnacle celebration for all of creation this Easter season, that Jesus Christ is alive. Think about this. Easter is to the Christian faith what Mardi Gras is to New Orleans. Like, it's a celebration. Easter is to the Christian faith what Niagara Falls is to Niagara Falls, Would you go to Niagara Falls if it wasn't for the falls? Me neither. (laughs) The falls gives us its meaning and its significance and its reason for being. This is Easter for us as Christians. It gives us our meaning for being. It's a day we celebrate the greatest miracle of all times. Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, Take away Jesus' resurrection and Jesus is still a corpse. The whole Christian faith is dead. We may as well put the cross away. We may as well put the instruments away. We may as well go home and sleep in and have a great big breakfast and have Easter eggs like everybody else. Because take this away, it means absolutely nothing. Bring it in and it is everything for us as believers. Christianity, without the resurrection, is like a house without a foundation, it's like a car without an engine, it's like a boat without a bottom. But Christianity with the resurrection, here's what John MacArthur says, who's much smarter than I am. He says this, the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other area of gospel truth. The resurrection is a pivot on which all Christianity turns and without which none of the other truths would even matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking taking its place along the all other human philosophy and religious speculation. But God was so determined that we understood what Easter was all about, that, that, the, that he sent the prophets hundreds of years before Jesus came with all these prophets to say, hey, when, when the Messiah comes, he is going to rise from the dead. He gave us the gospels. He gave us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded in every single one of them, eyewitness accounts that Jesus truly raised from the dead. And then the letters he gave us to the churches after, they all focused on one aspect, one truth the most, is that Jesus is not dead, he is alive. alive. So check it out, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 13, let me read it, I'll unpack it for you in just a few minutes this morning, but I am praying today that that, that we wouldn't just nod in agreement, yeah, Jesus is alive, but that we would come alive with the truth that Jesus is alive. And so for those of you who are here this morning, you're convinced, I pray this just drives us a little deeper, yeah, 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 it's true, it's true, it's true, Jesus is alive. For those of you here that are maybe on the fence and you're like, I don't know, I'm a cynic, I am too by heart, to be honest, I'm a cynic, I don't know, I pray this just pulls you over to this side of the fence, and maybe you're here today, and you're like way on the other side of the fence, you're like, I'm just here because my friend made me come, or something got me here this morning, I'm praying this like pulls you to the fence, not just to peek over, but pulls you over the fence to know the fullness of Jesus. Let me read this, then I'm going to pray, and then by God's grace, I'm going to preach. Look what it says in Mark 16, verses 1 to 13. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I'll explain that in a minute. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe and they were alarmed. Can you imagine Put yourself in this place? A little bit alarmed, they were really alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and and Peter, specifically Peter, this is important, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid Now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. You're in good company. It's hard to believe. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking the country. And they went back and told the rest. But they did not believe them. Notice, they did not believe Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at a table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who, had, who saw them after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hold of their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Sorry went long in verse 13. It's a good story. Hey, I couldn't stop. Let's pray, and then let's uh, dig in. God, thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Thank you this morning, Father, that you sent your son, Jesus, not just die on the cross for our sins, but to be raised again for the forgiveness of sins and to give brand new life, eternal life and eternal hope. Father, I pray simply this morning one thing, that the message of a risen Savior would be loud and clear. God, may you open our eyes to see. May you open our hearts with wonder. May you, may you cause our lives to bow before you this morning. And God, I do pray that you would turn in all of our hearts, and all of our humanness and sinfulness, there's a little bit of doubt and unbelief. God, would you turn our unbelief to belief this morning in every way possible for every single one of us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you're taking notes, you don't have to, but if you are, I don't have an outline for you because I just figured this out at seven this morning. so. Uh, here's the first point. Uh, number one, check it out. The tomb is empty. I just read this for you today. And let me explain it to you. So here's what's happening. So Jesus died probably on a Friday. It's uh, ironically or not, it's the day of the Passover. Remember the Passover of the Old Testament? What was that whole deal? Well, the, the angel's gonna pass over so death wouldn't. That's the day Jesus died. Ironic, not at all. God's very planned. And so uh, the next day is the Sabbath in Jewish times. And so from sundown to, from sundown, to sundown, they are Completely void of work, and they do everything to seek Jesus, seek God. I, sorry, seek God. And so that's what's happening. So they were seeking God, and, and Jesus died. And then in the next morning, which then green light again to do whatever you want to do, early in the morning, the next day, which is Sunday, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the three days in the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Siloam, with Jesus' mom and, and a few others, they brought spices to anoint Jesus' body. So back in those days, they didn't have embalmers. They didn't have morticians to come and, and, you know, get the nice suit on and part the hair properly. They put them in a tomb and left it to the people who love them to take care of that body. So there they are in the morning. They're like, okay, this yeah, devastating event. This, this isn't just someone they love. This is the one that had all their hope in, and now he is completely dead. You ever lost someone you loved? It's shocking. It's horrifying. It's... it's it empties you of all of you in some ways. It's hard to wrap your mind around, but even more so for Jesus' disciples and those who followed him closely because they believed, they really believed his message he is the one. So they're devastated. And the best way to know how they're gonna honor him, they're gonna put spices on his body, but as they're walking, you can see here, that says they're talking about like, how are we gonna take this stone away from the tomb? Like, like, how are we gonna do this? So again, they didn't put them in a casket and dump them in the ground. They put him in a tomb and put not just a little stone, but a 2,000-pound boulder in this case, like on a little track that would run a little bit downhill. So so basically, there's no way that a few women could remove this stone. There's no way I could remove this stone with probably Dylan and Graham. I know we're all tough guys, but come on. So they're talking to us like, how are we going to remove this stone? Again, it's right here in the text. Who's going to roll this stone away from the entrance? But yet, to their astonishment, they got there And they saw the stone has been rolled back. I don't know if they knew about the guard or not, but it's even a bigger deal because there was a Roman guard placed there to make sure that this guy stayed dead. He wasn't gonna come back to life. There's no way that anyone could resurrect this story. I don't know about you, but this is between verse four and verse five is a pretty remarkable truth that's not recorded in scriptures. But as I read this, I'm like, this is astonishing. Can you imagine if you went to the graveyard of the one that you just lost to put flowers in the gravestone? You got there and the hole was dug up and the tomb was open. Can you imagine that? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be looking in the hole. Would you? I'd be hiding behind my son because he's much stronger and much more fit than I am. The thing, the, the, the ladies, these, these little ladies, they, they actually went in the tomb. I think that's a miracle in itself, don't you? I'd be like running to the high heavens going like, get me out of here. Like, remember Scooby-Doo? Like, zoink, Scoob! The ladies go in the tomb and what do they find? An angel, a young man, an angel sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Go figure, they were alarmed. No way, really. But he said to them, "I can imagine this calmly, kind of like smugly." The look of astonishment. Compare that to the peace. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. Look at look at his words here. He has risen. He is not here. Panic button, you know when you you come across something that's just like so out of the ordinary, your mind just can't comprehend it, you know, like, like, did I just see that? Panic button, mind spinning, like, what's going on here? This is what's happening. This honestly has been causing minds to spin for the last 2,000 years, right? As shocking as it was for these ladies, it's it's just as shocking for us. I said it earlier, like, I'm one of those guys that's a cynic by nature. Like, I'm one of those, like, prove it guys, you know what I mean? You watch the news, you're like, eh, prove it. You hear stories, you're like, I doubt it. Even preach, hear preacher stories, I'm like, I don't think so, let me look it up after. You know what I mean? Seems far-fetched, seems like a fairy tale. I don't know about you, but I've never known anyone that's come back from the dead, have you? Outside our norm, beyond the realm of scientific explanation. I think a lot of us come to this story and we kind of pass it over, like, oh, yeah, yeah that's a good story in the Bible because doesn't fit into our little framework of what can happen and what can't happen but can we just say that God can do anything today and just because we don't understand something does that make it true did you did you know that like elephants don't actually hear with their ears those big old floppy ears you think they hear everything you know what they hear with their feet I looked that up this morning at 7 a.m. because I was looking for a cool fact. You know, the things that we don't believe, things that we don't believe that are actually true, and it's true, according to the website I looked at, anyways. Like, you know, that doesn't make any sense. that like these great big ears—they feel at their feet. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't make have to make sense for us to for it to be true. These words mean a lot. He has risen. He is not here. And I don't a lot of people are like, well, prove it, prove it, prove it. Here's the real, we, we can't really prove it, but that's what proof the proof that he's not there. We can't prove it because there is no tomb to prove that Jesus. this is where Jesus laid. My wife and I went to Israel a few years ago and there's a tomb for everybody. Great big, manuf- great big magnificent tombs with a great big plaque on it in Hebrew that's been translated. You know the only person who's really not a tomb for that we really don't know where his tomb was? Jesus Christ, why is that? Because it's empty. (laughs) Because it's empty, which is proof from the pudding that it's really true. So a lot of people have tried over the years to disprove this because if this is true, man, it changes everything. And if it's not true, I can live the life I want and just do my own thing. And so a lot of theories have come up over the last 2,000 years to try and keep Jesus in the tomb. Let me just unpack four of them for you today. Again, my goal is is to help you see without a shadow of a doubt that this isn't make-believe, it's not false. Jesus isn't some little Roman Greek God. Jesus is the son of God who rose from the dead. Here's the first theory. It's the swoon theory that Jesus really didn't die. You watch Monty Python? Not dead yet. (laughs) That kind of thing. Like Jesus took a big beating and was wrapped up in a tomb and shoved in there with a 2,000 pound stone. But he wasn't quite dead yet. There's an explanation somewhere. Think about this for a minute. For the Roman guard who was guarding that tomb, there was a death penalty if that tomb was empty at all the next week. Think about this Jesus was beaten to a pulp, hammered to a cross to hang out and dry for three to six hours. Like, can you imagine even being that beaten and that pulverized? Like, he'd be the ultimate UFC fighter in history if he could come back for that and come out okay. John 19 tells us the last step in crucifixions was to break the legs of those on the cross, but the prophecy said that Jesus wouldn't have any legs broken, and the guards looked at him and like, no, he's dead. So what they did to prove that he was dead, they put a spear through his side, and what came out, a mixture of blood and water for anyone who's in the medical field, that's a definitive answer right there. They didn't need to break his legs. He was, what was he? He was dead. Then they wrapped him in winding sheets and put him in a tomb. So... Get this, if the swoon theory is true, Jesus went through all that, wrapped smug. You know, you get wrapped up in your sheets, you have a hard time battling the sheets in the morning to get out sometimes. Like, he was wrapped. So somehow, after being beaten, hung on a cross, wrapped in sheets, he, Houdini-likes, sniggled himself out of his grave clothes, rolled this stone away, tiptoed past the guard, absolutely naked. Only to snicker off into the, the hillside and never be seen again. Like, that... I know we believe a lot of things, but that's ridiculous, isn't it? Conspiracy theory is another one. Jesus died, but he didn't really raise again. In other words, the apostles were scammers. Somehow they snuck past the guard, got into the tomb, unfolded his his body, folded his clothes up really nice and neat, somehow got by again. I know we're into conspiracy theories. We love them, right? We'll believe anything on the internet these days. But like, really? Really, the disciples are that intelligent and that... James Bondish to do that? I I don't think so. Remember the disciples? The Jewish leaders even said this. They didn't deny the tomb was empty. The disciples must have done it. The disciples must have done it. Remember the Jesus disciples? Think about who they were. When the going got tough, where were the disciples? Where were they? They scattered like the university students on St. Patrick's Day when the cops come. You know what I mean? Like they were gonzo. Now, all of a sudden, somewhere in here, they got a little bit of courage. And uh, remember, Peter's the guy denying Jesus. They got a little bit of courage. And they, they, they pulled off the biggest heist in human history. I don't think so. Again, the guard's life depended on keeping Jesus in the tomb. And even think about this. If the, if the Roman authorities really believed the, the disciples did this, you know what they would do? They'd put a surveillance on them 24-7. They would have found him in the next 24 hours to prove that he was dead. Even the disciples did do it. How do you keep a secret your whole life and not one of them crack? I remember when I was in high school, my mom would crack me and my buddies all the time. Where were you guys last night? Oh, we're at a friend's house. Okay, okay, you go in that room, you go in that room, you go in that room. 20 minutes later, she's like, your story's unraveling, fellas. Like, you were not where you said you were. 11 o'clock, my foot, you were home. You know what I mean? Like, it was easy to figure out. Like, you don't think the disciples would crack? Like, they weren't that smart. They were average, regular people like you and I. What about this one, the myth theory? Jesus died, but he didn't raise again. In other words, the apostles are really good storytellers. They were the best door-to-door salesmen in history. They would have got an A in English class, better than Shakespeare or Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. They could tell a story, you know what I mean? Think about this. That it's not a myth. The style of the Gospels is different than the writing of myths. Like, if you look at the writings back then of the writings of myths, the style of the Gospels is completely different. This is this is legal. Style, eyewitness accounts. Think about this. There's not enough time for a myth to develop. Myths develop over generations, and this story came about immediately. And, and the New Testament was written within 50 years of Jesus' life and death. And, and even Alexander the Great, there's nothing written until a thousand years after he lived and died. Like this is this stands alone, even historical markers of story. Think about this: the first eyewitnesses were women. If you're going to write a story in that day, you're not using women as credibility because they were uncredible. Jesus actually elevated the status of women in his day. Think about this. If this were concoction by the disciples, don't you think they would have told themselves, painted themselves in a little bit of a different light? They were the bumbling idiots of the story. If I'm writing a story and I'm going to at least make myself look a little bit half intelligent, they didn't do that at all. This is not a myth. Finally, think about this. The disciples had absolutely nothing to gain from making up a story. There was no Twitter followers or TikTok videos or like book deals or TV, made for TV specials. Like they had nothing to gain from this. In fact, all they had to gain was, was hatred and death. All of them died except for John as martyrs for the gospel. Every one of them was willing to die for this. And yet this is where Christianity took off like a wildfire across the prairies. Forget Theories, forget, miss. This really, truly happened. This is the truth. This is why Christians for centuries have been celebrating this one day. This is why the world stops today to celebrate this. No matter what country you come from, this is happening. Even if Trudeau won't acknowledge that this is Easter weekend, like this weekend, like, like he can't stop the reality that there's believers celebrating the risen Savior today all over the world because Jesus is alive. Don't believe, Nietzsche, guys, that God is dead. Buy into what God says, Jesus is alive. He is risen, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen. You don't have to be afraid of this truth. Look at it, all the time it says they're afraid, they're astonished, they're afraid. You have to be afraid of this truth. Here's the reality. Jesus is alive and he wants you and I today to see this, to see this and believe this. Not just to like, oh yeah, that's probably true, you know, intellectual belief. Well, yeah, nod to the left, that's true. Go on, but to see it and to be amazed and astonished and to have our lives changed by this truth. Point number one is, Check it, the tomb is empty. Point number two is this. See this, Jesus is alive. Notice the rest of this, verses nine to 13. What are they, what's Jesus doing? He's appearing to people. He wants people to know he's alive. In other words, Jesus didn't bring you here today to hear a message that you could go, on your way, still doubting or still in disbelief. He came here because he wants you to see more than anything else in this life, in this world, in this day, that he truly is in fact alive. Jesus plays hide and seek like a little kid does. You ever play hide and seek with a little kid, like a little two-year-old? What do they do? They stand in the middle of the room, right? With their eyes closed usually, because if they can't see you, you can't see them. Hoping to the high heavens, you'll find them, right? And if you don't find them, thirty seconds—like, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. This is Jesus. He didn't come to to give up his perfect life in heaven to walk amongst his broken world to take on the form of flesh when he's all divinity that he might die the horrendous death and and, and raise the glorious life, so that we would somehow miss him. He did everything he could can and could use so that we would see the fact that he is alive. And look at the narrative here. This is why he appears to Mary. Notice he appeared to Mary first, again, a woman. In Jesus' day, this takes away the credibility, but this is true. He appeared to a woman who, notice, not just any woman, a woman who he'd cast out seven demons from, a woman who is eager to believe and eager to see and eager to have her life changed. Notice who else? Notice who else he appeared to? He appeared to the to two disciples. This is the Luke account of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he's walking with them and talking with them. They didn't believe because they had a hardness of heart, it says, and an unbelief. And Jesus says to them, but how could you miss it? Like, I had the prophets tell you about this for hundreds of years so that you wouldn't miss it. Then he appears to his disciples. Notice he only appeared to a few disciples. Judas was obviously gone, and Thomas wasn't there either. He was too busy doubting to be with the other disciples. And the other gospel shows he, he appeared to them as well and basically asked them the question, How could you not believe all the miracles you saw, all the things you, you experienced, all the, all the evidences I gave you? How could you not believe? I calmed storms, I healed sick, I, lame, I healed the, the lame, and cast out demons. And even he was so gracious enough, it's not recorded here, but in other accounts of the gospels, he even, he even appeared to Thomas, the one who doubted, the one who's like, oh, I don't think so. Remember Thomas? What he say? Unless I see, any you guys there? Again, that's me, right? Unless I see, unless I touch, unless I feel. She's like, oh yeah, you want to see? You want to touch? You want to feel? It, like morph through the walls? He's like, here I am, Thomas. And he's, <laughs> you want to see? Touch, man. Touch. Do what you got to do. It's real. Others have tried to pass this off, like ah. Uh, this doesn't prove anything. It's just a great big hallucination. Just a great big hallucination. Well, 1 Corinthians fifteen verses three to eight tells us that he, Jesus, appeared to groups of up to five hundred people at a time, and hallucinations don't work that way. If you look at hallucinations, it's usually people that have a little bit of stress going on, or a little bit emotionally or mentally disturbed, and they see this crazy thing. And everyone else will looking at them, going, "Like, I don't know, you see him, but I ain't seeing that." Hallucinations aren't two people seeing the same thing ever. Up to 500 people saw the same thing at a time, and hallucinations usually last for about a few seconds. I think I saw up in the sky, and Jesus around for 40 days proving that he is actually raised again the Son of the living God. The witnesses of these hallucinations were all trustworthy, normal, sane, upstanding, moral, law-abiding citizens like your grandma. They had conversations they ate meals with him, they talked with him, they touched him. And even if it was a hallucination, it still doesn't explain the empty tomb, the stone being rolled away. This is fact. The greatest fact of all these stories is this. It's the the changed lives that have been a result of the resurrected Jesus. The changed lives, you, you can't refute the changed lives. That, that one person's changed more lives than anyone else in history. That's one person, it's Jesus Christ. And I want you, but he changed my life supernaturally without me even warning him to. I was pretty happy in my sin and in my cynicism, doing my own thing and gonna live the Canadian dream and, and make a lot of money and have the yacht and the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You know, I was happy with that, going for friends and popularity and all those things, and, and Jesus wasn't happy with that because I'd miss out on life and eternal life and the fullness and meaning of life and life after life and, and, and the fact that everything that we have in this world is wrapped up in one place is Jesus Christ. Man, he's changed my life. He's changed many of your lives. Think of the disciples. They went from cowardly to courageous like that. You generally don't turn a, cow- a coward into a courageous warrior like that. Think about, think about the other people. Ways God has changed your lives and my life and the people around us. He's changed God deniers to devoted followers. He's changed us from being self-promoters to glory givers. He's changed us from being haters to lovers, from being proud to humble. He's given us belief where there's unbelief. And he wants to reveal himself to us again today in a way that again reaffirms and redefines the way that we are committed to him in this life for the rest of our lives. Tim Keller says this, if Jesus is dead, so is Christianity. But if Jesus is alive, so is Christianity. Everything is based around a living Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. It just begs the question. There's, there's all the theology and all the history, but it begs the, the heart question now this morning. Like, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus alive and well in your life today? Or have you still relegated him to the tomb? I know, I get it. I've been a churchgoer for years too. It's easy to say all the right things. Let's be honest. Like, is Jesus alive to you today? Do you worship him today? Do you love him today? Do you live for him today? Do you trust him today? Do you believe in him today? Do you give your life to him today? Or is he just another plethora of options out there or a good idea for when you get in a pinch in your life? Here's the practical realities of how this changes everything. There's the kind of theoretical or theological realities. Here's the practical realities how this ought to change everything today. We, we, if Jesus is alive, here's, what, here's the reality He becomes my everything. If Jesus is truly alive, he becomes my everything. Here's the first thing. He is really the son of God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just some crazy guy or wild comment or a mythical Greek legend. He is the true son of the living God. How do we know? Because he was raised from the dead. Here's what it says in Romans 1, 4. And he was declared to be son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by how? By his resurrection from the dead. In other words, a resurrection stamped the authenticity of Jesus. Like if you're not sure, this is it. It's stamped it. he's real. He's alive to never die again. Jesus is truly the son of the living God. His message is for real. Everything he said, everything he did, and everything he taught is for real. To me, that was the most remarkable part about being in Israel is that we got to walk and see And touch the things that we read about in the Bible. And let's be honest, over here in North America, sometimes we're like, "Is this some sort of like crazy legend?" You get, you get there, and you can see and touch and smell and feel, and you're like, "Oh my goodness!" There's no doubt this is exactly how it happened. His message is for real. Everything he said, did, and taught is validated by the resurrection. It was his most outrageous claim that he would be delivered in the hands of men to be killed only to rise from the dead three days. He said those very words in every one of the gospels. I am gonna be delivered in the hands of men, I'm gonna be killed, but I am gonna rise again. And he did. Which means this for us, brothers and sisters, that if Jesus is real, then everything you read in here is absolutely true. He actually does love you. You might not be able to see him or feel him. Circumstances of your life might spiral out of control and you might go through dark seasons where you're like, is God real? Where is he? Here's the truth today. He is real and he loves you and he will never ever give up on you. How do you know? Because he's willing to die for you and to rise again for your life. He loves you. His promises are true. Everything you read in here, you can be absolutely certain to have. Let's be honest, you read anything on the web today, you talk to people, you have no idea what's true what's not true. This is one place we can stake our lives and say 100% all the time, guaranteed, it is true. Because Jesus is alive. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Heaven and hell are a Reality. And Jesus is our only hope before God. He is the savior of our souls. He's a son of God. His message is for real. He's a savior of our souls. Here's the reality of of Good Friday. Our sin needed a, a price, had to be paid for our sin. Good Friday, he paid the price. Easter Sunday, he cashed the check. Good Friday, he's like, yeah, it's done. I'll pay the price. Good Easter Sunday is he's cashing the check. It's as good as done. Sin is conquered. Death is overruled, and Jesus reigns victorious. He's the Savior of our souls. Your sin separates you from a holy God, and the only person that can bring you back into reconciliation with God is Jesus Christ through His death, not just His death, but His resurrection. Here's what it says in Romans four twenty five. He who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up. So he's delivered for our trespasses but then raised up for our justification. Justification is just a fancy word that means that before God it's just as if you've never sinned. That Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. Let's be honest, we're all sinners here, right? Anyone ever said, well, I'm not perfect? Ten Commandments, you know they're there to show us how imperfect we are, ever lied, stolen, coveted. Lusted, taking God's name in vain. Oh my goodness! Yup, yup, You have to go through that checklist. It's like check, check, check. Like I've never got perfect at anything in my life except for that checklist. Ten out of ten. I'm a sinner. I'm hopeless. No, 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 no. We're sinners, but the hope is the hope is is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, and He rose to show the forgiveness and power over those sins has been completed. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, nor the curse of sin also, it tells us in Romans chapter six. In other words, sin's been conquered and death's been conquered too because of the resurrection. I don't have to keep on going sin, go on sinning because of the power of Christ in me. I don't have to fear death because it is completely obliterated in Jesus' Resurrection. So Christian funerals, when you hear that you're going to see them again one day, it's not just a nice little sentiment. It's true. But even greater than seeing your mom or your dad, your grandpa, your grandma, your loved ones, your friends, your brother, sister in heaven, you're going to see in heaven the... You're gonna see God Himself, you see the Son of the Living God, and that's all that's gonna matter. I don't you, I'm not gonna be lining up in heaven to see my grandma, to be honest, first and foremost. I'm gonna be at the feet of Jesus, going like, wow, it's Jesus and all of his glory, all the things we long for, all the things we talked about all my days. Here he is, right here. I can't get enough, I can't catch my breath, I gotta bow and worship. It's all true. And here's the last thing: he is the king of my life. He's the king of my life. We give him our allegiance. We trust him completely. We surrender everything to him our whole lives, his ways, his plans and where God puts a period, we don't put a question mark. We follow him completely with our whole lives. So powerful, isn't it? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We all have life. Everyone out there has life. We're all living and breathing and But real life, abundant life, is only found in Jesus Christ. And this is his gracious, eternal offer to us this morning. Easter weekend, you have two choices. Are you going to live in your life, or are you going to revel in glory in the life, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ? To find the meaning and the purpose to your life. The risen Christ is to our lives like Niagara Falls is to Niagara Falls. It is everything. It's our meaning, our purpose, our hope, our glory. It makes life, he makes life worth the living. Now, but also forevermore. I simply pray this morning that somehow, because God's word's powerful, because Jesus is alive, not because I'm up here for sure that that in the depths of your hearts if you're convinced you're more convinced and your soul right now is just on fire you can't wait to worship the rest of the weekend you can't wait to like to to, to be with Jesus tomorrow morning in your devotions you can't wait to tell your friends and your neighbors about Christ because he's alive I pray that this just cements that in your heart If if you came here this morning you're on the fence and you're like I don't know it's Easter, she go to church. Like I pray this, just like, just like God just like boom over the side of your head in a good way and you're like, you fell on this side and you're like on your face, but not like hurting on your face, like worshiping Jesus, They like go like, I didn't know for sure, but now I know. If that's you today and you came in here not knowing and you really wanna know, like talk to Dylan, talk to Graham, talk to anyone you can find here, Stephen, myself, like find somebody and ask them, like I wanna know this eternal life. And if you came in here as a doubter, or a skeptic, or you just plain didn't believe, I pray you're, you're at least to the place where you're at the fence and you're like, I gotta know more, I gotta know more, I gotta know more. I'm in the land of the dead, but I need to be in the land of the living with Jesus Christ. My soul is dead, but I need it to be alive. And if that's you today, you, you know deep down, you know that your soul is not alive. You know it. The Holy Spirit's even telling you right now, your soul is not alive. But he's also telling you, but it can, it can be alive today in Jesus Christ. If you humble yourself, repent of your sins, and turn to Jesus by faith. Let me pray, then Graham's gonna come and lead us in communion. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl@gmail.com gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.